Good morning, Trinity Church. How are you? Awesome. Can we give the band a hand? Really? Like, aren't they just... Just speaks to the soul. Speaks to the soul. Um, well, I'm excited to be back again. Uh, really enjoyed being here last time. So, so excited to be back that I went out and got another haircut. Um, but really, uh, you know, as I'm driving in, um, I, I, I see the big banner, you belong here. And I, I just want to say thank you for making me feel um, like I belong here. And, and you've been just so warm and gracious, and so I wanted to say thank you. Let me lift up a word of prayer, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, and I thank you for your faithfulness to Trinity Church. God, we know that, that you are sovereign. Regardless of what we go through in life, we know that you are in control, and we hold on to that. We know it. We believe it. And Lord, we declare right now, despite whatever we might be going through in our lives, that you are good. We love you, God, and we declare our love for you. So now, Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have another question for you this morning. Let me ask, what's your passion in life? What's your passion? What's that thing that you like to do that you find yourself spending most of your time and resources um, doing that thing? It gets, it, it, you get into it so much that it starts to become one of your main priorities. You devote more and more time and resources to it, and perhaps even for some of us, it becomes too much of a passion. Uh, I, ha I have a friend that I knew from a while back, and he, he, he loves cars, loves cars. Can I get an amen, right? He knows, like, makes and models, and he knows, like, with different options that come with different years, and he knows the difference for, for all these things. In fact, when, when he was little, he had his babysitter as a, a bedtime story would read the Road and Track magazine to him and go through all the specs, and he would sit there and he'd try to memorize it. <clears throat> What's your passion? Um, it, you know what? There, there's all kinds of passions that you see on YouTube, right? Anybody been watching YouTube at all? It's crazy the amount of content that's on there. There's this one dude that loves melting metal, okay? This guy melts metal, and he just melts copper, aluminum, and he, 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 find, he goes to the scrapyard, finds all this stuff, he melts it in his crucible, he's got his own furnace, and then he, he molds it into things. It's crazy. Like, it's so crazy that he starts melting things at his house because he wants to melt things so bad. It's all this, like, kind of fun thing. I mean, he's melted his microwave, he's melted the aluminum uh, screens, uh, you know, the screen, the aluminum frame, he's melted that, he's melted ladder, he's melted everything. There's another guy on YouTube that runs around, like in the northeast when it's raining, you know, there's a lot of leaves up there, like, not like here. They've got a lot of trees and everything, and when it rains hard in the fall, all the drains get clogged up, and it, it literally floods the street up to here. So this guy goes around with this metal rake, and he starts scraping those things off, right? And all of a sudden, the, the, the street drains, and you're like, wow, that's just so refreshing, right? But this is what he does for his life. And when you listen to the guy, he's passionate. He's passionate about it. Anybody a foodie? Right? I love, I love food. I mean, can you tell? Like, I mean, I love food. Um, and, and, and food can become a passion. What about shopping? Yeah, you say no, right? 
Um, and, and you know, I'm just saying, I'm not talking about like, for those guys out there thinking, oh yeah, talk to my wife. <laughs> guys, when it comes to tech stuff, when it comes to tools, when it comes to all kinds, you, you know, you're, you're like, and, and some guys it's clothing too and it's shoes and stuff. But um, man, last Christmas, my wife's like, what do you want for Christmas? And I was like, oh, I want a power washer. Man, I, I just, and so I got this power wash. I mean, I want, who wants a power washer? Guys want a power, power washer, right? I, it's, it's, I, some of you guys out there going, yeah, I wish I had a power washer, okay? 5,000 PSI, 30 horsepower. Uh, just kidding, my wife is here. Um, it's like 2,000 uh, PSI, 13 horsepower. Like, really, honey, it, it's, it's 2,000, it's not 5,000. I'm just, it is. Uh, <clears throat> And it's not just the item, right? It's, 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 it's not just going to get the item. I mean, getting the item is one thing, but it's the deal, you know? It's like when you get, get, get the deal, ooh, I got it for this, right? It's, it's you're going for the kill. There's something about that. So now let me ask you this. What's your passion in the kingdom? What's your passion in the kingdom? What's your gospel passion? What's your ministry passion? Or as I'm going to call it today, your kingdom passion. What's your kingdom passion? Have you ever looked at someone with an amazing passion for God, God's people, and God's mission, and think, gosh, I really wish I could be that way, but I'm just not. They give up everything, and it seems so easy for them to give up their resources to do God's work. And I, I totally admire them, and I've even tried to be them, but for some reason, I can't. When I go to do it, it's just so hard, and it seems so easy for them. Why is that? What are some of the barriers to having a kingdom passion? And that's one of the things I'd like to explore today. What are some of the barriers? But I also think that it's also hard to find our passion. We're hard-pressed to find what it is that we're going to do for the Lord. Have you ever felt that? I used to be a college pastor. And this is the one question that comes up over and over and over again. Not only, you know, but, you know their major, what are they going to do in life, but what am I going to do for the Lord? What's God's plan for me? What should I be doing? This summer, I'll be turning 49, and it just, just a little bit too close to that 5-0 number. Um, and, and you know what? It, it's, it's, it's very young by some standards, and it's very old by others. Okay? And so that's why people in my age bracket have what's called a midlife crisis. Okay? Have I done anything in my life? Have I served the Lord? What can I do with the final 10, 15, 20 years of my life? Because, you know, you start to realize that's, you know, almost 50 years have gone. This is what I've got left to do something. Or maybe you're about to start your sunset years. Or maybe you're well into retirement. By the way, what's up with that word retirement? I don't like that word. Right? It's like, right? It's like, I'm not retired. Like, I haven't been put out to pasture. My life's got meaning. Right? Amen? Amen. But you might be wondering, what have I done with my life? Was it meaningful? Is there anything left I can still do? Whatever your stage of life that you might be in, you can have a kingdom passion. It might not be your job or your profession. 
And you know what? It really doesn't have to be. You can still have kingdom passions and it not be your full-time job. Look, like I said, with our other passions, food is my passion. It'd be nice if it were my job, but even if it's not, if it's not, it can still be my passion. Just because I'm not filming food on YouTube and posting it on YouTube doesn't mean it can't be my passion. Just because I can't be on the PGA Tour, and Lord knows I cannot be on the PGA Tour, but I still love golf, right? It's still a passion. And I don't know why we think it has to be different for a kingdom passion. Passion. So in the same way, even if you're not a pastor or a missionary or something like that, doesn't mean that you can't have a kingdom passion. So what's stopping you? What's stopping you? That's what I want to answer this morning. What, again, what stops me from having a kingdom passion? And second, how can I find a kingdom passion that I can really be passionate about? that I can be excited about. So for that, we're going to turn, to, turn our Bibles to a really, really well-known passage. It comes from Luke chapter 10, and you all know uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Can we turn there? Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Verses 25 through 37. And God's word says this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. It's the word of the Lord. Now we know this story pretty well. It starts off with a lawyer. Yes, an expert in the law, but not the kind of lawyer, modern lawyer that we have now. But in this case, an expert in Israelite law, the Torah. So lawyers in the room, you can relax. This passage isn't going to go after you. You can sit back and resist the urge to bill me for something. Um, (laughs) Wishing to justify himself. Like he says, what am I going to do to inherit eternal life? Right? And Jesus does the classic, well, what... Rhetorical, or that makes him respond. And he gives, he's like, 
He gives it, and he's like, yeah, just do that. Wishing to justify himself, he's basically saying, yeah, 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 I got that. Let's take a deeper dive, right? But Jesus is like, hmm, but do you really? Do you really get it? And then he gives this parable, right? And we know the story. Man is beaten, he's left half dead on the side of the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Three people come by, right? So let's take a look at this passage. When we see a passage like this one, especially comes to parables, we have to ask the passage some questions, okay? We have to ask the passage some questions. And the first question that I have is, is why didn't the priest stop? Why didn't the priest stop? It says he was going down the road, he saw the man, and then he passed by on the other side. So he came, he saw, he passed by. Repeat after me, please. He came, he saw, he passed by on the other side. Now, I got to say right off the bat, okay, in the end, we don't know exactly why the priest didn't stop, okay? We, it's a parable. We can ask Jesus when we get to heaven. But we can take some educated guesses, and that's all these are, are educated guesses. So, you know, just, just have that. But why didn't the priest stop? I mean, I think you would stop. Wouldn't you stop? I think I would stop. So then we have to ask another question. Who is a priest and what is his function? What does this guy do? Now, a priest was a guy who offered sacrifices to God, to the divine, on behalf of the people. It's the intersection, this person represented the intersection between, at least in their theology, between God and his people. This guy needed to be pure. He needed to be pure. And, and, and being pure in the Jewish religion was a very serious, thing, very serious thing. And at times, I'm telling you, it was overboard, okay? So when it, 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 came, to, when it came to peace, he had to follow all kinds of regulations. Um, Legend has it, it's probably true, that when a scribe would write in the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, when he got to the name of God, when he got to Yahweh, he would put down his pen, go, wash his hands, pick up a different pen, write the name of Yahweh, put that down, go back, wash his hands, come back, and then finish the sentence. That's how seriously they took it. A priest would have to go through major, major, like if he was going to uh, serve in the temple, he had to go through major preparation. He had to go through all kinds of ritual washings and get dressed. He had to put on his ephod, whatever that is. It's got 12 stones on the front, you know, this headdress, like the whole thing. It took him three hours to get dressed. Some of you ladies are like, oh, that's my husband. Um, <laughs> Wow, I didn't know I was married to a priest. Um, <laughs> so, I, I, you know, so, you know, we know about clean and unclean. We know about kosher, right? And so there were serious laws regarding touching even a dead body, okay? If you look at Numbers chapter 19, Numbers chapter 19, you don't have to turn there, got it up on the screen for you, but if you were going to touch a dead body, it was going to be problematic, Okay, Numbers chapter 19, 11 through 16 says this, okay? Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. He shall cleanse himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become clean. 
Whoever touches a dead person, the body of anyone who has died, I don't, that's a definition of a dead person, I'm just saying, and, and does not cleanse himself, defile, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from Israel because the, uh, because the water for impurity was not thrown on him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. Wow. Okay, a priest would be seven days excluded from service and had to go to washing on a third day and seventh day. Now check this out. This is even, this is even better, okay? Verse 14, this is the law when someone dies in a tent. Everyone who comes into the tent and everyone who is in the tent shall be unclean seven days. So even if you don't touch a dead body, but if you're in the same room or the same tent as a dead body, you're going to be unclean for seven days. I think the passage is pretty clear when it says, like, there's a reason why it says this person was half dead. Not badly wounded or something like that. The person is half dead. The priest is thinking, looking at that guy and going, is this guy going to make me unclean? And is he going to exclude me from temple service? In this case, for the priest, it was going to be a massive sacrifice of time, and that time meant his service and his theology of what he understood to be clean and unclean and what he could and could not do. How comfortable are we, modern day, with people that our faith or our religion would consider unclean? If there was, is, who, 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 like, if we think about the theology of our church, who would you consider as unclean? And I think that's something that we really need to think hard about. You know, it's not like the church has not gone through this for many, many times over the years. Everybody knows Calvary Chapel, right? Chuck Smith, back in the 70s, ministered to the hippies of the day, right? Part of the big Jesus movement. And, and there was this event that happened. And you know what? I'm just going to read Chuck Smith's words because he says it better than I can say it, Okay. Chuck Smith talked about the barriers that were, uh, that were there when the, church was starting, uh, when the church was starting, okay? And he says this. He says, perhaps this involves interesting symbolism, but I think that the last barrier to go in our church was the bare feet barrier. When we got beyond that, we were home free. The pivotal incident centered on a, centered on a wide expanse of brand new carpet that we had just put in. Those who had been inwardly protesting the hippies finally found a target upon which to vent their discontent. Dirty feet, soil carpets, and these carpets cost a lot of money. Besides, who wants to see dirt marks on a brand new carpet? They took it upon themselves early one Sunday morning to hang up a sign reading, no bare feet allowed. For some reason, I happened to reach the church earlier than usual and was in time to take down the sign. It was sad to see division over things this trivial. It was also sad to see that what really lay behind the outward demarcations of division, a we, they, polarity instead of love. This time, I was the one to call the board meeting, and I spoke to the, from my heart 
to the board. And he says to the board, in a sense, it is we older established Christians who are on trial before the young people. We are the ones who told them about James 2 and 1 John 4, 7. The kind of action we display today puts a question mark across our faith. When things like this happen, we have to ask ourselves who or what it is that controls and guides our motives. If because of our plush carpeting, we have to close the door to one young person who has bare feet, I'm personally in favor of ripping out all the carpeting and having concrete floors. If because of dirty jeans, we have to say to one young person, I'm sorry, you cannot come into church tonight, your jeans are too dirty, then I'm in favor of getting rid of the upholstered pews. Let's get steel benches or steel chairs or something we can wash off, but let's not ever, ever close the door to anyone because of dress or the way he looks. Calvary, Jumple, Calvary Chapel jumped over that last hurdle. We were ready to move ahead. What would you do if someone who clearly was a drug addict walked into the room right now? Would you talk to them or would you call the police? As a church, we say we want to share the gospel. We even say that's our main mission. And yet when it comes to the people we want to share the gospel with, non-Christians, we want them not to act like non-Christians before we connect with them. If someone is in need, in the need of the gospel, it means that they are deeply broken and in need of Jesus, just like us. Why then do we act like they have already received Jesus? Why shouldn't, why shouldn't we expect them? We should expect them to be foul-mouthed. We should expect them to be addicted to drugs. We should be expecting them to be living a promiscuous, promiscuous life. If you want to be a vessel of the gospel, then you have to be willing to associate with someone we would consider unclean. They are going to make you feel uncomfortable. Honestly, I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't. So I understand why the priest didn't stop. Actually, I get it. It's not an easy thing to associate with those who are considered unclean. So don't look down on the priest. I understand the priest. In fact, I have been that priest. I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us can relate to that priest too. Have you ever gone to an off-ramp? There was, when I used to go to church in LA, there was an off-ramp that was there, and every week there was the same homeless guy there every week. There were two lanes to turn left, and I found myself starting to not go in the very left lane next to him and going into the lane over. Where's our hearts? So the next question that we have to ask is, why didn't the Levite stop? Why didn't the Levite stop? And in verse 32, it says the same thing. It says, he came. Let me try that again. In verse 32, he says, he came. There we go. He saw. He passed by on the other side. Now, now wait. Wait a second. What was a Levite? What did a Levite do? He was a priest. We've got another priest coming through. The story has two priests coming down. Right? So why this time? Why a priest and then why defined as a Levite here? So really quick, what happened in the history is that the Levites originally were the priests, but they kind of got ousted 
and the house of Zadok came up and took, took over, and the Levites became second-order priests. They were still priests, but they weren't going to be the chief priests. They're going to be temple singers. They're going to be gatekeepers. They're going to clean the temple. They're going to do all kinds of things, okay? So that's what, the, now the Levites were second, the, the, the second order. They didn't have the same responsibilities as the chief priests. So now we're thinking, ooh, the priest couldn't do it. Of course we can't. He couldn't do it because he had to go through all these washings. But the Levite, he's still one of our best guys. Okay? He's still a man full of faith, right? He's a good representative, but he doesn't have those restrictions. Aha, aha, aha. He's going to come by, and he's going to save the day. But what does he do? He passes by on the other side. Now, you've got to understand something. The Levites became a whole tribe, right? Do you really think you had the whole tribe of Levi at the temple all the time? No. So what happened, they weren't allotted land of their own, so they were, giving, they were given land on the outskirts of cities, Okay? And as they multiplied, they would take turns and rotate into the temple. Okay? It wasn't all the time that they were there, and they couldn't count on the temple for their survival. The sacrifices that were made there wasn't going to feed the Levites. So what did they have to do? They had to start going doing business. They started farming. They started doing agriculture. They started trade okay? and going back and forth. And so they became what, what we would consider small business owners. Okay? Anybody know what it's like to be a small business owner? My parents, immigrant family. An immigrant family, like when they come to the United States, um, even if they have all kinds of qualifications, they, can't, they have to retest and do things, okay? So they end up starting businesses. My family started a business. And in fact, it was a dry cleaners, okay? 30% of the dry cleaners in the United States owned by Koreans, okay? 80% of the dry cleaners in Washington, D.C. owned by Koreans. And I would say probably in L.A. too, that number is probably, like Southern California is probably similar. Three out of the four Korean girls I ever dated, their parents owned dry cleaners, all right? Uh, so what, statistics. Um, my mom, my mom, um, she had to get up at 5 a.m., get ready, make breakfast for the family, take off by 6.30 to open, open, the, um, open the store by 7, okay? She would stay there 12 hours because people want to drop off their clothes before, before work and after work. So she'd stay there 12 hours, 7 to 7. And have you ever been in a dry cleaners in the summer? All day. That's what she did. And it wasn't a five-day-a-week job. It was six days a week. Okay, she'd come home, she'd close at 7, get home by 7.30, make something really quick for us to eat at 8 o'clock. I'm used to, when I got to college and the cafeteria closed at 7, I was like, I'm just getting hungry. And I noticed, I noticed other Korean friends, same thing. Because we all ate late because our parents all run small, small businesses, okay? Now, sm running a small business like that, it's hard. Six days a week, and my dad was a pastor, so my mom, pastor's wife, God bless her soul, Wednesday night service, Friday night prayer, Sunday two services, morning and evening. I mean, it was crazy for my mom. When you're running a small business, you have no time. They didn't have time to take me to Little League. I didn't have Little League. There was no way I was going to do anything like that. Okay? We all had to make sacrifices. And I remember my dad, he was like, you know, Daniel, you must have made lots of money. Buy big BMW, right? I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. My dad was a pastor. He would never say that. Okay. Sorry. But you know what he said? You know what he said? What he said was this. He goes, Daniel, 
Right now, you must study. You must study hard. We come to America for you study. It's like right now, your, your brain, like a spongy. Spongy. Daddy brain like a stun. Right? <laughs> so study now. That's what, that's what my dad would say. Um, you know what? If you're running a small business, you have no time. And we all know time is. That's right. And I'm not going to be bashful about this. If you're going to have a passion, you all know what it's like to have a regular <laughs> non-kingdom passion. It's going to take your time and money. Okay? Think, having a kingdom passion, yes, God's provi God provides his resources, but how do you think he provides money for the Bibles to go to China? Or for the plane tickets? He provides it through people. He doesn't... Anybody ever just wake up and their bank account all of a sudden have a million dollars in it for you to go spend? Right? He provides it through us. Through other people and their sacrifice. But it's so easy to spend money on ourselves, isn't it? When I was buying that pressure washer, I was trying to find every excuse to upgrade. I was like, ooh, but this one. But ooh. when it comes to spending money on ourselves, it's easy to want to spend a little bit more. When it comes to spending on someone else, it's easy to kind of want to trim back. Oh, do you really need that? So the Levite didn't have time. He didn't have money, probably. Again, we're surmising here. So I understand. I understand. It's human nature. No one has to spend, no one has to tell you to spend money on you or not to spend money on you. I have been the Levite too. So then we need to get to the third character. Why did the Samaritan stop? Why did the Samaritan stop? First of all, we would have never expected a Samaritan, okay? The proper order, we say Levite priests. In, in, in the Old Testament, often we see the phrase, the priests, the Levites, and all Israel. The priests, the Levites, and all Israel. In this, the order goes, the priests, the Levites, and it's building suspense and going, yes, there's going to be some average Joseph that's going to come through and, and, and do this. But instead it says, the priests, a priest, a Levite, and then a Samaritan. We all know, we all know that the Israelites hated the Samaritans. And it wasn't just because they were half Jewish and half not, okay? It wasn't just an ethnicity thing, okay? The Samaritans, when, when, when Nehemiah and Ezra, when they're rebuilding the temple, who was there harassing them? It was the Samaritans. There's a whole nother, what we call the Samaritan Pentateuch. They took God's law and kind of shifted it, okay? If you, if there was another church that came from this church, from the evangelical church, and changed the Bible, what would you call them, okay? This, you know, it's, it's too simplistic to just say, we didn't like them because they were, they were half Jewish and half not, okay? There was antagonism. There was anger. There was conflict. People were fighting. People were yelling. People were you know, at battle, okay? But check this out. Everything the other guys couldn't do, the Samaritan does, okay? He gets his hands dirty and bandages the wounded man. He touches him. He pours oil and wine on him. He puts him on his own animal, which means now he was walking. And all this takes time, okay? He goes to the end, and do you notice he takes time there and spends the night to the next day? And it's only then that he, he leaves and he says, he tells the innkeeper, 
right? Take care of him. If you need more, I'll give you more money. He gives him two denarii. Two denarii is not spare change. It's two full day's wages, okay? So he does everything that the priest and the Levite can't do. He spends his time, he spends his money, and he gets dirty. But why can he do this? Why can he do this? The priest came, he saw, he passed by. The Levite came, passed by, sorry. <laughs> There's nowhere to hide under this podium, is there? <laughs> the Levite came, he saw, he passed by. Now what does it say in verse 33? The Samaritan came, he saw, and he had compassion. He had compassion. Okay. Folks, what this passage is saying is that the defining factor is this, is, is to have compassion. Is to have compassion. Compassion in its root means guts or bowels. It doesn't mean like actually like, it, 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 it's, it's a root word, okay? It's not the actual word, okay? But it's because they felt that the seed of emotion was here. And we do the same thing. We say, oh, I feel it in my heart, okay? We say heart, they say bowels, whatever, okay? It's not like your heart has emotions. We know that, right? But have you ever been moved so much that you could not not act, that you had to act? This passage sets it up in a way that says compassion is the key to action, it's only when our hearts are filled with compassion that we can overcome our barriers. When, have you ever had a passion, compassion for someone and you hurt so bad you saw them and you had so much sympathy that it didn't matter how much you were going to spend on them. It didn't matter how much time because you knew they were hurting and you wanted to be there. Okay? It's that kind of compassion that we want. It's that kind of compassion that's going to spring us to action, but I know what you're thinking. Hey, man, if I don't feel compassion, I don't feel compassion. How do I fake this emotion? Okay? How do I gain compassion? How is it that I can um, have this emotion that's going push to push me forward to action? When we look at the word for compassion that's underneath there, okay, the Greek word that's underneath the word compassion, it's only used 12 times in the New Testament. All of them, all of them in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? And every time it's used, okay, there's, it's only used two ways. The main way that it's used is when it's Jesus seeing people in need and he's either healing them or feeding them. Jesus was a foodie too. But it says, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Moved with compassion for them, Jesus cured their sick. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, and he broke the pieces of bread and fed the crowd of over 4,000. Okay? Only three times is it used without reference to Jesus, and those happen to be in three parables. Okay? The parable of the prodigal son, the, the parable of the king who forgave the debt of the servant who wouldn't, the unmerciful servant, and the parable of the Good Samaritan here. And if you look at those other parables, who's the one that had compassion? It's the father. Who's the one that had compassion in, in the unmerciful servant? It was the king. So except for the Good Samaritan, every single time that word compassionate used, 
It's either by Jesus or a God figure. So then we have to look back and sit there and say, what's going on in this parable? Who's the good Samaritan? Jesus? Is it God that perhaps has compassion on us? Who's the one that's half dead? Are we the ones that are half dead? Are we the ones that are on the side of the road? Of course we are. All of us are. Yes, it's spurring us to be like Jesus. But Jesus is showing example of who he is, who his heart is, what God's heart is for people. And he's saying, hey, you go and do likewise. Have my heart. Have my heart. So as I close, I want to ask you a few questions. Are you in need of compassion today? Are you that person on the side of the road? What was your lament from last week? What was your how long? How long? I've experienced the fullness of singleness in my life longer than I want to, want it to be. And I remember just crying out to the Lord, how long am I going to live this life? I still wanted to be married. And I know so many people who go through that. What's your lament? Another thing we can learn from this is that this helps us realize that in actuality, we're all in the same boat. All of us are recipients of the Good Samaritan's compassion. What the Good Samaritan might have realized is that it could have been him. It says, by chance, by chance, a person was walking down the road. And we realized, you know what? If it was the priest that walked down the road first, who would have gotten robbed? It was the Levite that was walked out first who would have gotten robbed. All of us can be that person. Friends, compassion is divine. Compassion is a divine attribute. If you want to be godly or godlike, have compassion. Have care for others. Love others. You know, going through hardship makes us so much more sympathetic than others. When you look up that Greek word that means compassion, compassion is a definition of the lexicon. It also says to have sympathy. Do you know what sympathy means? From the Greek, it comes sim and pathos. Soon and pathos. Feel with. To have empathy, to feel with someone. Have you ever been poor or hungry? Maybe that's something we haven't experienced here very much. But in Korea, until recently, the, the first thing, you say hello to someone, when you meet them, the first thing you would ask them, have you eaten? Because as you go through the Korean War, the war that they had and everything, people were so hungry. They're concerned about whether you've been hungry or not. Have you ever had chronic pain? Two spine surgeries I've had, lower back and that scar right there, spine in my neck. And chronic pain is the worst thing that you can ever imagine, okay? When I hear someone says, oh, my back hurts, and my heart pours out for them. My heart pours out for them. How do we have compassion? 
It's through the experiences that God gives us in our lives. It's through those laments that we have that we can use that as our well of emotion and compassion for us to go then and help others. And on with the story. Um, like I said, I was single for a long time, and um, back then, too, things were getting better now, but if you were turning 30 and you weren't married in Korea, it'd be like, oh, no, like you're never going to get married. So, um, so I was 30 and uh, went to go, met my wife finally, and um, was going to buy an engagement ring, okay? Went to downtown LA because it was cheaper there, right? Like, you go to, the, you go to downtown LA, parked our car, spending like, it's like $30 an hour, right? They get you, right, in downtown LA. And, 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 and I'm going out, and here's the thing. Like I said, I, I was single for a long time, important in Korea. My parents came with me. I just don't judge. <laughs> Cultural thing, okay? Cultural thing. So <laughs> there, there's my mom, right, and, and she's in front. I'm walking, and then there's my dad. Uh, there, there was a homeless man there, a vet, okay? And he had a son. He's like, he, he was missing a leg, okay? And he's standing there on one foot, and he's, asking for help. My mom, she's, she's, she's a fragile, older mom, older lady. I mean, she's just pure, just so pure-hearted. I mean, you, I told you about the life that she lived. She, 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 and, and she was excited for her son to get married, so she didn't notice, and she passed by on the other side, okay? I'm walking along, and you know what? My theology, too, it's like, you don't give homeless people money. What are they going to do? They don't do drugs, right? So, like, for me, I, I would not give them any money. I would always either take them to a restaurant or give them food or something like that. So that prevented me from being there. And plus, I'm just spending $30. I'm about to buy a big old rock. I ain't got no money, right? <laughs> so what are you asking me for money for, right? So I pass by on the other side. Then there's my dad. And I hear in the back after we pass, I hear my dad. And he says in Korean, yobo, yobo, which means like my, you know, my beloved or, or, or my spouse, my, my wife, right? He's like, ton. Like money, right? And I turn around and I look, and there's this homeless man that's like this, and there's my dad holding his cane, pulling, trying to pull out his wallet, okay? My father was born with a bad leg and missing the, the, the ball socket or the ball of the ball socket. And so every time he would walk, it would stab his pelvis, okay? And so as he saw that man, Okay? It wasn't the money or the time that mattered. He, my dad went through a lifetime of pain, and all he could see with this person, it didn't matter what his background was or how dirty he was or whatever it might be, he could look at that person and have compassion. Brothers and sisters, what's the lament that you were going through? What is it that you gave up to the Lord? Because it's those laments it's those things that God uses for you to have compassion and sympathy for another person. We host a lot of single people at our house. It's just one of the things we do. Because I know what it's like to feel like nobody wants you. And so we try to open up our home to make sure that they, they feel wanted and they feel loved. You don't have to have a grandiose, it doesn't have to be your job. You don't have to go to seminary. Look at the places in your lives that God has worked with you in 
use that. And it'll open a whole new world. Start a ministry with that. It doesn't have to have a name. It doesn't have to make money. In fact, it's going to take a lot of your money. But that's our ministry. That's our passion. Amen? Let's pray. Would you take a moment now and let the Holy Spirit work within you? What ministry, what passion is he calling you to? It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can always care for someone. You might be afraid. Can I do this? Would you ask the Lord now? Say, Lord, I give this to you. Would you use it? I give you my hurts and I give you my pains, Lord. Heal it and use me as a vessel to heal others. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. And I, Lord, I thank you that you have brought in your faithfulness Trinity to this place. And Lord, I even thank you for the hurts and the pains that the people here have gone through. God, now I pray. I lift it up to you. We lifted it all up together. And we ask that you would use this place and this space as a place of ministry, as a place of compassion, as a place to, of healing and love, that we can restore people to you. We love you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray.